Hey, well, welcome to Auckland EV. My name's Rowan, one of the pastors here. In 1952, a woman by the name of Florence Chadwick set out from the Californian coastline in an attempt to swim 42 k's to Catalina Island. That's the island on the Mac background of Catalina, in case you were wondering which one it is. Now, she already had the record for the fastest woman to swim the English Channel and the only woman to swim it both ways, right? She'd done so much in her life, but 15 hours into her swim to Catalina Island, a thick fog sweeps in. That meant she couldn't kind of see where she was going. She kept bumping into the support boats that were on the lookout for sharks around her. After another hour of swimming through the fog, exhausted, frustrated, she couldn't do it anymore. She asked to be pulled out of the water. And as she got into the support boat, to her dismay, she found out she was only one mile from the coast of Catalina Island. 15 hours of grueling swimming, fending off the, the mental, emotional and physical pain. And she gives up only to work out there's only one mile left. What a waste. How frustrated would you be to be so close and yet now have to start the whole thing again if you want to actually make it count? Well, life in a way is very much like Florence Chadwick's swim in 1952. There are all sorts of dangers and frustrations and challenges in front of us in life. We get tired, lost, apathetic, distracted when the fog of whatever it is comes in. And the challenge for us is, how do we make this life count? The effort, the toil, the time that we spend, how do we make it all count? Well, today we're starting a new series called Foundations, where we'll get to see what God says matters in life. We get to see our, our purpose, why we're here and what makes life worth living. Over the next six weeks, you're going to hear why we do what we do as a church and why that matters. Now, you might be someone who's, who's come along who's had very little to do with God. You might be someone who's been following Jesus their whole life. But no matter where you're at with God, the next six weeks are going to be vital because we're going to be seeing how to make life count. Florence Chadwick's story ended in an incredible waste of time because she lost sight of where she was going. But just two months later, she went back and attempted the same swim again. The second time, the same thing happened. Thick fog set in. But because she knew that though she couldn't see it, the end was not far away, she powered on through. She made it count and she broke the record. Afterwards, she said what got her through was keeping a mental image of the shoreline of Catalina Island in her mind and fixing her focus on that as she swam despite the fog, despite the pain and the tiredness. Making life count means we need to be clear on where we're going, what it will look like. In Philippians 2 that we've just read, the Apostle Paul paints a picture of the shoreline for every human being. Philippians 2 verse 10. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now Paul said this, not out of wishful thinking, but because he had met the risen Jesus. He'd, he'd seen what he'd done. He was convinced that Jesus is God and that he made you and me and that he is coming back again. No matter what you think of God, the Bible's claim, the claim of human history is that a man, Jesus of Nazareth, rose from the dead. That this man is God, that he died in my place and yours, taking the punishment for what we deserve for turning our backs on God. And that he's coming back again to judge the living and the dead. That's the reality of history. The reality of what the apostles painted. 
That's the picture put before us. What Paul's saying is that death is not our end. It's not. There is more. But how we respond to Jesus before we die, how we respond to him here and now will determine on the day he comes back whether we will bow the knee to King Jesus willingly or regretfully. The key to making life count begins with having that picture of the end in mind, that reality. Jesus is king. If you're here and you haven't trusted in Jesus, I want to plead with you today. Just take a look at him. Actually see what he has done for you. It's amazing. Look at chapter 2, verse 5, and we'll see what Jesus has done. Jesus, who existing in the form of God, didn't consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant and taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, when you think of what Jesus endured for you and me, that the creator of all things became part of his creation, stepped into his creation, and that he died and faced the death that you and I deserve, not because he had to, but because he wanted to. He, he dealt with our wrongs and failings, not because we deserved him to deal with them, but simply because he loves us. What other king would do that? What leader would step up and say, I'll take the rap for you. I'll take the punishment for the situation that you've got yourselves in for you. None. <laughs> oh, you see what Jesus has done. You can't help but love him. You can't help but bow the knee to say, you are amazing. That's why Christians are so passionate about something that almost no one else is passionate about. Humility. Not a fake kind of humility. The kind that you, know, you, you try to keep our heads below the radar because we want to get others to praise us. That's real humility. We, we don't say things good about ourselves. We just get others to say it about us and say, oh, I, couldn't, I can't, I need to be humble. Not, not that sort of false humility. Jesus did nothing out of vain conceit. He didn't look to his own interests just purely to the interest of others, the interest of you and me. Think about this. The one who sustains the universe, who upholds everything that's going on, Jesus, allowed those he was sustaining to hammer his arms into a wooden cross and his feet and to die in their place. He sustained their very hearts. He kept them beating so that they could kill him and he could die for you and for me and for them. That. That's amazing humility. But it doesn't end there. Verse 9 of chapter 2. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Death was not the end for Jesus. As Jesus was raised from the dead, he wasn't just resuscitated. He was resurrected, never to die again, put in the place of of judge and ruler over the whole earth. And given that the only place he deserves, the place of King of Kings and Lord of Lords, that's what he was given. Ruler over all authority, every authority. The King that will rule forever. Death is not the end. Jesus' resurrection proves that. Our world is so focused on thinking that death is all there is. After death, there is nothing. That's why we have so many laws on euthanasia and we think there's just nothing after that. But God shows us, God's word shows us death is not the end. 
our ultimate home, our ultimate destination is for every knee in heaven and on earth and under the earth to bow to Jesus. And every tongue confess that has ever existed will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That is the future. The question is, is that picture of the future in your mind? Well, as we look to Jesus, we see great humility, but we also see great glory. See, Christians are also passionate about God's glory. Glory just means weightiness, honour, amazement, praise. You know, when we speak of the glory of the All Blacks, we think of the weightiness of the best rugby league team in the world, unfortunately. Uh, it used to be the Wallabies, but no longer. <laughs> you know, they, they deserve the All Blacks. They deserve glory and honour because they're so good. Well, how much more does Jesus, the creator of all, the one who came and died in our place, deserve all the glory, all the honour, all the praise? you've been living life irrespective of Jesus and you need to recognize you're, you're missing the one who deserves all of your attention the one who's died for you and your future and mine is that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess but not all willingly there's a point where it will be too late for people to come to Jesus their confession won't be one of joyful acceptance of the God who loves them and who they've trusted in but a kind of considered rejection through gritted teeth. Jesus is Lord and I'm angry. <laughs> that moment's too late. And so the one who trusts Jesus now, the one who's recognised what he's done now, he's passionate for Jesus' glory now that will be shown when he comes back, just like his rule will be fully shown when he comes back. And so in humility, we do everything we possibly can to point people to Jesus so that he might be glorified, so that others might know his love and his lordship and become citizens of the new kingdom that he's bringing in. You know, the God of glory makes us jealous for other people that are bowing the knee to things that don't deserve it, to things that won't deliver. Don't you find that we're far too easily pleased, far too easily satisfied, far too easily apathetic about our purpose, about humility, about what, who, what nation or country or, or kingdom we're citizens of about God's glory. As we think about the foundations of, of Auckland EV and what we are like as a church and what makes us tick, Philippians 2 shows us that life, if you want to make it count, is all about Jesus. It's about His glory, His honour, His fame, seen most clearly in His humility for us. Making life count is not about me and what I can get, but how I live in response to what Jesus has done for me. Living life without Jesus in the picture means that everything you or I do will count for nothing. We'll stand condemned on that last day for rejecting God, looking down the barrel of hell, of separation from God's goodness forever, getting what we've asked for, life without God. So the Apostle Paul says to those who trust Jesus this, Chapter 2, verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is working in you to both will and to work according to his good purpose. Everything Paul says in this section of Philippians from this point on, it's, it's not an instruction manual for how to get right with God. Jesus has already done that by dying in our place, by laying down his life for us. Now, what Paul is saying from here on in is to those who trusted what Jesus has done for them, 
It's how we respond now that Jesus has saved us. How we keep trusting Jesus. How do we make life count? Well, we let God's work in us work through us. We work according to his good purpose. Do you hear that? Making life count is working not according to my dreams and ambitions, not making sure I do what I want to achieve in life, but seeing the greater and truer will and purpose of the God who made you and me and living for him. That makes life count. Paul's already said to adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. But how easy is it for us to revert to our plans and purposes? I find myself so often just thinking about what I want to achieve and where I want to go and not thinking through how does this fit in the big picture of who God is and what he's done. But when I look at my dreams, they're so puny and pathetic compared to the plan of the creator of the universe. To see people come to know Jesus and the forgiveness that is offered in him is better than the cure for cancer. It's it's better than anything else because it lasts forever. Oh, to bow the knee willingly and to see people across this country, across the world, come and trust Jesus. That's what we live for. That's what makes life count. So Paul says in verse 14, Do everything without grumbling and arguing, so that you may be blameless and pure children of God, who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation, among whom you shine like stars in the world. Those who trust Jesus, who want to make life count, we're not to hide or to shrink back. We're to shine like stars in the universe. One of the questions I've always had about the universe is, why did God make it so big? Why put stars so far away in the universe? Do you know the the closest star is about 4.21 light years away? The furthest star we can see with a human eye is 16,308 light years away. 16,308 years traveling at the speed of light. That's how far away it is. We can still see it with a naked eye when it's super dark. Why did God do that? Why does it need to be so big? (laughs) I think he did it so he can say, be like that. No matter how minuscule and tiny and distant you feel in this world of blackness and darkness, Shine, reflect the glory of the God who is light, the one who has come and died in our place and risen again, the one who offers life to all, the one in whom there is no darkness at all. Shine like stars in the universe. Make life count. That's what he's saying. And here Paul gives us five ways to shine. The first way to make life count and to shine like stars is to be grounded in the gospel. Look at 2 verse 15. Shine like stars in the world by holding firm to the word of life. See, it's only by holding firm to God's word, to the news of Jesus, listening to him that we can shine. We don't get to call the shots on how to live. We we do a bad job of that. God does. If we were to set the rules, we'd just be indistinguishable from the world around us because our hearts are still not fully as they ought to be. We're still bent and crooked. We, We do dumb things. We hurt people. At this moment in history, unlike many others we've been in, we have a moment to speak out in the world we're in, to show how the gospel of Jesus shines to the world around us. People are so worried about death and fear and COVID and freedoms. But the Christian has no, no need to worry at all because we know Jesus is king, that he is coming back again. 
And as we trust in what He's done at the cross and as we tell people about how they can be part of His kingdom by trusting in Him, as we hold out the Word of God to them, oh, we have every reason to have hope and security and joy. So ensure you're grounded in the Word of God, that God's Word shapes your plans and purposes, that you might be thinking through how to live in His world to make life count. Secondly, the way we shine like stars is by being sacrificial in service. We've already seen this in the example of Jesus. But look how Paul applies it. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should not look to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. Shining like stars is to shine by having humility. That means having others' interests before our own, just like Jesus did, just like Paul did. Listen to these words again in verse 17 of chapter 2. Paul says, Even if I'm poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial service of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with all of you. <laughs> Paul, he, he's glad. He, he's making it count for the good of others, doing all that he can for the spread of God's kingdom, seeing people move from death to life, Paul wants to sacrificially serve with his whole life. And he says that's what he's about, making life count for the good of others in humility. Well, Thirdly, we shine like stars by being leaders in love. Look at verse 2 of chapter 2. Paul says, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love. What's the same love he's talking about there? It's the same love that Christ loved us with, as Paul loved the Philippians with. We don't We exist to be united in love. And that doesn't mean not saying the hard things sometimes. Uh, It'll mean carefully, humbly, lovingly pointing out where where we have issues. We always speak the truth in love. It doesn't mean that we'll never say something that will cause offence. We may do that, but we want to do it not out of any selfish ambition, but because we've seen Jesus and we want to point people to what Jesus says, not what we say. And by loving the world around us, not by conforming to the the rules of the Bible, but by presenting the ruler of the world, ruler of the universe, Jesus to the world, that is how we'll see the world loved. Sticking our necks out, inviting people around to our house, uh, chatting about why you love Jesus, why Jesus loves us, speaking about what you do and, and why you want to serve Jesus. That is part of loving the world around us. Yes, it's costly. But man, have you seen what Jesus did? Fourthly, we shine like stars by being partners in purpose. Look at verse 2 again. Make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. You get this picture here of Paul and um, the Philippian church is encouraging them to say, hey, we're, we're in this together. It's God's purpose we're working toward. As a church, as Auckland AV, we need to be united on that front. We need to be together, not quibbling around these other issues, but thinking clearly, how do we see Jesus' glory? How do we see the world around us come to recognize who Jesus is and what he's done? These are the foundations of what we're about. This is what it is to, to make life count as a church, to together be united in Christ. Not making decisions around our comfort or our preferences, but around the name of Jesus being held high in this city, in this country, into the ends of the earth, making life count for Jesus' glory and fame. That's how we shine. And fifthly, we shine like stars when we are joyful in dependence. 
Again, look at verse 17 carefully. But even if I'm poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. The cost is huge for Paul. He, 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 turns down, he turns down his prestige and status being a Jew and, and kind of persecuting Christians, everything he'd been working for because he wants to make life count. He's convinced, pointing people to Jesus, that Jesus really did die and rise again. He's convinced that is better than all the status, all the fame, all the zeal he had before, everything he'd been working to up until that point. That'd be like a swimmer who's, who's almost the way to the island going, actually, the island I was swimming to is the wrong one. Perhaps sometimes we're swimming toward the wrong island. We're swimming towards a different picture, a different shoreline than the one God holds out. We need to see what God has said in his word here about who Jesus is and that picture of the end where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And we need to look to Jesus and see the example that he has given us and then live for that end. Let me ask you today, what do you think Jesus thought was better? To hang in heaven, to, to never come to earth, to, to, to stay there with the prestige and glory and power he had, was that better? Or to come, pour out himself, be humiliated, suffer and die for us. He willingly and joyfully came and suffered. That was better. Paul willingly and joyfully suffered for the sake of others that they might hear the news of Jesus. Paul says to you and to me, have the same attitude of Christ Jesus. Make your life count. Joyfully depend on Jesus. Yeah, it's hard. Yes, it will hurt. Yes, there's sacrifice. But it's worth it, isn't it? Keep going. Don't let the fog of this world stop you. Keep going. We've got lots to learn from Nemo, right? Dory's little line, just keep swimming, just keep swimming. As we look to the future and we see who Jesus is, we need to keep going to make our life count. And as a church, we've got four big prayers that kind of are prayers that are asking God to, to do things that we think will see His glory manifested more and more here in Auckland, given the opportunities that we have and who He's made us. These aren't promises that God has given us. But we've been asking Him but by the year 2030 to do these four big things. We're recognizing who we are and the opportunities we have and who God's called together. And so let me outline for you what we see that these four big prayers are. They're part of our 2030 vision. The first one is that God would grow us. He'd grow us as, as a church uh, with multiple campuses to 2,030 people across six campuses by the year 2030. That kind of feels big, but man, we want to see those people, not because we want to see Auckland EV as a big church, we want to see people trusting Jesus and, and firm in Him. And so we've been praying that God would grow us, not for our glory, but for His, so that the world might come to Jesus before it's too late. The second big prayer we've been asking for is that God would plant four more local campuses across Auckland and four regional church plants across New Zealand. We want to see more churches as kind of gospel hubs, spraying out the news of, of, of Jesus and his kingdom and building people up and seeing them be part of communities where they might recognize this, this picture of the shoreline that Paul paints for us. So we want to see four local campuses in Auckland. Now, we've been praying that God would see our North Shore campus start this week, actually, and it hasn't. And that's frustrating. But at the same time, we know God is sovereign. He's not promised that these things will happen in this timing, but 
we can see how this purpose, this is what we're, we want to see happen for the sake of his glory. And so I want to ask you to keep praying for that. As soon as we can come back together, we will start that campus, God willing, and we'll see people again come to know Jesus and grow in him. And in terms of planting more regional church plants across the country, oh, we, need, we, we, we long to see more places where people can hear the word of God. If you're, um, if you're tuning in online and you're in a place where you don't have somewhere that's teaching the word of God well and you really want a church, let us know. We're, we're super keen to be seeing great Bible teaching and training churches across the country. We'd love to um, get in touch. So re- reach out. It's something that we're praying for. Thirdly, in order to see that happen, we've been asking God that he would raise up workers for the harvest, that he would train and send 30 people into full-time gospel ministry. Because we need workers for the harvest to be able to love and lead God's people. And so we need people trained up and equipped and sent out into his world. That's the only way that can happen. And there's a massive need for that. We've got the ability, um, humanly speaking, with funds to be able to plant two church plants outside of Auckland right now. We just don't have the people ready to be able to do it. So do pray with us. Pray that God would do this for his glory. And finally, that God would give us a building, a gospel training hub. So that we'd have a, a center, a place that we could be seeing the, the news of Jesus go out from both here centrally. Then as we think through um, the campus on the shore and other campuses that we plant, a place that we could be training and equipping and sending out for the next 50, 100 years. Not so that we've got our you know, headquarters, but so that we can have a, a tool that will see people equipped to handle God's word better. Well, what do those four big prayers mean for me and you? Well, as we think through those prayers as a church, we need to reflect on the humility of Jesus. As we think through that that vision, that direction we're asking God to take us, as Jesus gave up his position in heaven and became flesh for us, he provides the model of how we should have the same attitude. How can you and I be sacrificially self-giving the time and resource and opportunity to see see that happen for the glory of Jesus? Well, we've got three things that we've, we've been speaking about since we launched this vision. Number one, pray for it. Pray for the spread of the gospel in Auckland, that God might see 2,030 people by the year 2030, that he, that he might see um, four more campuses and four more regional campuses across New Zealand, that he might see 30 workers raised up for gospel ministry, that he might see a gospel training hub. I want to encourage you, sacrificially pray for that. God's in control of it all. Ask him to do it. Depend on him. Make that front and center as you think about what matters in life. The second thing that we can do is to pay for it. Everything that we have is given to us by God and it's ultimately his for his glory. All this 2030 vision is calling us to do is to be bold with what God's given us. He never asks us to give more than what he's already given us, but to prayerfully and wisely invest in the spread of the kingdom of God. Like it's the wisest investment anyone can make. It's the most secure investment. It's the investment that will produce the most returns because the investment in the kingdom of God lasts forever. Jesus said, don't store up treasure for yourselves on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No, make it last. Think through how you might use all God's given you within the means that he's given you sacrificially as as we do the same for the spread of his kingdom. 
Now, there are, there are many different ways that we can invest in the spread of the kingdom of God. And it's our prayer that you might significantly consider investing in this vision for the glory of God and for the good of Auckland. We need the funds to be able to see a, a building happen. And there's been buildings on, on the radar, but they've just always been a little bit more or had some problem that would have cost too much. In, investing in the kingdom might mean you can't say yes to many other good ministry opportunities that come up because you're all in on, on, on this vision or all in where you, you, you are here saying, I think this is where I'm going to go. Now, you might not be in on this vision. And that's fine. I want to encourage you to find somewhere you, you can be and, and commit wholeheartedly. Because we are after people who are all in, all in for Jesus' glory, all in for sacrificially and humbly giving up our freedoms so others might know Jesus and all in for working together and doing whatever it takes under God to see his name glorified. And hopefully through this 2030 vision to see more people knowing him. The third thing we'd love you to consider doing after you've been praying for it and paying for it is to stay for it. Stability is one of the keys to a healthy church because Christianity is about relationships. It takes years for people to come to Jesus. I've heard a stat that somewhere between two to five years from someone first thinking about Christianity to becoming a Christian. If we're always moving around and changing places all the time, we're not going to be able to have that stability to see relationships change. I want to encourage you to think about committing to 2030. Sarah and I have committed to staying here in Auckland uh, until at least 2030, unless for some health reason uh, we need to go back or to our parents in Sydney um, or with the, the Council of Exec and the Board of Reference. We think it's best not to stay here for the growth of EV. But we've committed to staying. I want to ask you to, to do the same as we think through the foundations of what we're about as a church, as we think through making it count and the picture God's given us of the future. I want to encourage you to, to stay, to, to plug yourself in, Roll up your sleeves and be like, yeah, sure, there's some problems. Sure, we're not everything that we could be. I'm, I'm a broken sinner and so are you. But what it would be like if we'd continue to link arms and serve together for the spread of God's kingdom. Get plugged into serving in some way. And there's a whole lot of serving ways that have changed now. We're, we're online a bit. And so we're talking through how we can see that happen. There's needs to be able to serve as we plant the North Shore campus. There's plenty of needs there as well. One of the things we've found is if, if you're not plugged in and serving in the local church, you only ever feel like a temporary member. And commit to staying for this vision to the year 2030. None of us have to be massively gifted, inspirational superstars. Right? We've already got one of those. His name is Jesus. We just need to plug away with the gifts God has given us, with the opportunities and resources and time and energy and skills and serve him. Now, what we have before us as we start this series of a Foundations of EV is a picture of the end where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. That is the reality. The key to making life count is keeping that picture in mind that we might be grounded in the gospel, sacrificial in service, leaders in love, partners in purpose and joyful independence as we trust our great God. How do we as a church work to make life count? I want to tell you, come back next week as we start the first of our five purposes as a church and we'll see what we are doing as a church to kind of work forward to see people trusting Jesus. We seek for Him to be glorified. Why don't you join me and pray that God would help us to think through how we might use all we've been given for His glory that we might make our lives count. Let's pray. Father, we long that Jesus' name be held high in this city, this country, and to the ends of the earth. 
We know that you've brought us together with the different skills and abilities we have. Some of us feel like, oh, I can't be that helpful, but you've made us who we are for your purposes. So we ask that you would use us boldly, not to live for our pathetic and puny dreams, but to live for your will and for your glory, that more people might be trusting in Jesus on that last day. Would you use us as a church? Would you unite us together around your word to see clearly what that, that picture of the future is? We bring before you these, these four big points, four big prayers that you would be growing your church, not for our glory. We want people to be serving Jesus. We want people to be trusting Jesus. We want death to not be their end, to hell not being the future. And so, Lord, would you work through your son, Jesus, in us and through us sacrificially as we proclaim the news of Jesus. Help us to be prayerfully dependent on you in this. Help us um, to think through how we can financially support this and help us to be people who stay for it, to stick so that we might have relationships with others. We might humbly consider others better than ourselves. Lord God, thanks so much for the picture you've given us of the end. Give us laser sharp focus and vision on that, that we might live for that end in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recording from Auckland EV. We hope you found it helpful. And if you'd like to find out more about Jesus or about church, we'd love to get in touch. So check out our website at aucklandev.co.nz for more details. Thanks for listening.